0: of God is about God sending His Son into the world and then His Son sending us into the world. And so in order for us to go into the world, we have to have three things. We have to have Christ, we have to have community, it's the body of Christ, and we have to enter into the culture and be on mission. Last time I was here, we covered what it means to be in an abiding relationship with Christ. And if you're in an abiding relationship with Christ, He's going to send you out. He's going to say, go. That's what He always says. And so today we're going to talk about community and what community looks like, and we'll see that it's also connected to Christ and it's also connected to the culture. Everything is interconnected, interwoven, and inseparable. You can't separate the two. Um, Last time I was here, I also shared this verse, this quote from Reggie McNeil that said, a growing number of people are leaving the institutional church for a new reason. They're not leaving because they've lost their faith, but they're leaving the church to preserve their faith. The church has apparently missed the point and it's not um, giving them what they need and so they're leaving the church and they're not going. I asked you guys that week if you agreed with this statement, please raise your hand and almost all of you quickly raise your hands. And the fact that you never raise your hand um, scares me <laughs> that you quickly <laughs> raise your hand there. So, so we all feel this. We feel like the church has missed the point, and so um, w- w- this series is designed to tell us that we need a paradigm shift about the way we think about church. We have to think completely different about church, because the way the church has responded to this problem has been to, I said. Um, give the church a facelift and make the church more attractional. Let's make it more attractional. And so the model of the of the of the modern church has been: Come and see. Come check out our pastor. Come check out our worship team. Come check out our programs. And come see what we have to give you, which is very American and commercial and material, right? It's just come and come come and consume what we have. But the missional model, the paradigm shift that we need, if we understand what God is sending us to do, is to not think, come and see, but go and be. Get out of this room and get into the community at large, the neighborhood at large, and be Christ-like to them and share the good news in some way to them. And I mentioned a few weeks ago a provocative statement that is church, as we call it, which more appropriately would be called our worship experience on Sunday morning, right? Why do we say church? Are you going to church? (coughs) Brother, I am the church. You know what I mean? That's what we should say, but yes, I am going to church. (laughs) We come to church, but really we should say we come to worship. Worship should not really be the front door to um, folks who are not Christians. Does that make sense? In other words, the attractional come and see model always said, bring your friends here and then let the preacher do the rest. Or maybe we even think in our mind, or God will do the rest, right? Bring, bring, your, bring your friend to church, and then God will do the rest. And that doesn't work. And so today we're going to talk about missional community. Let, let me start this off with a conversation. I said the church, the worship service, is not the front door to um, non-Christians or to your neighbors or to your friends. So then you would ask, well, then what is the front door? And then I would say the front door is your missional community. And then you would say, what's my missional community? And then I would say, I'm glad you asked. A missional community is basically an extended family on mission together. And then you might say something like, oh, you mean like a small group or, or a home group or like a, a cell group or a life group or a community group? You mean something like that, don't you? And then I'd say, no, nothing like that, actually. And then you would say, well, then what's a missional community group again? And then I'd say, well, I can't really answer that question really simply. In order for me to fully answer that question so that I know we're all on the same page, I'm going to have to first introduce a little bit of vocabulary. And then I'm going to have to introduce a little bit of history. Sounds like school already. And then I'm going to have to explain what missional community is not we're all kind of wired in some way and we have to have a paradigm shift, then at the back end of that whole conversation, we might be all on the same page about what a missional community is. So unfortunately, I don't have a quick, simple, easy, fast answer. I have a long one. But I know the suspense is killing you and I don't want to kill you. So let me just give you a working definition immediately so that you know where we're going in case you fall asleep. A missional community, here by definition, is an extended family, so think about 10 or 20 people, who are on mission together, and that looks like this. They meet together regularly to share food and fun and prayer and life and resources and mission. That is the definition of our mission statement. When we say Seasons of Faith, Christ, community, culture, when we say community, we mean missional community, which is an extended family of 10 to 20 who are doing life together, sharing resources together, and are on mission together. And I'm going to explain what that looks like today, and I hope that you're just as excited about it as I am. So first, let's do a little vocabulary. Um, when you look at uh, the, the, the history of the world, every culture that ever existed had at its core foundation the extended family. Don't think America. Think every other culture in the universe, okay? They always had an extended family. Think of Father Abraham, had many sons, Right? He has so many children, thousands of children. Can you imagine growing up as one of Abraham's children? You you can sense the sense of community there, right? Everyone's together Uncle Bill, Uncle Bob, Uncle Frank, Uncle Sue, right? Or think of Moses leading the Hebrew people in this circus of people, you know, out of Egypt for 400 years. Can you feel the, can you imagine being a kid growing up in that circus? You, You would feel the extended family community, wouldn't you? Everyone knows. Everyone. Everyone raises each other's kids. You're not even worried about your kid. They could be on down the road in that part of the back of the caravan. I don't know. Someone's got them, right? We're all taking care of each other here. Everyone serves each other. They, 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 they work together to provide meals. Everyone knows that Bill's good with the hammer. If you need something fixed, go to Bill. Everyone knows that Rachel's good with the needle. She is, right? Uh, you need something fixed, she, she can fix it for you. But you get the picture. That's what an extended family looks like. In the Old Testament, you can imagine it. With Moses. And then in the New Testament, we see the same sort of thing, the extended family, in a very particular way. In fact, that extended family is the vehicle in which the church exploded into a movement. Um, and in the, in the Greek, the, the New Testament's written in Greek, the Greek word for the extended family is this word. I think you've heard it before. It's oikos. Can you say that with me? Famous word even still today because they have Greek yogurt that you can buy at the grocery store. John Stamos is the supermodel who advertises Greek yogurt, so, you know, it's a popular word. It's an important word. Let me show you some verses in Scripture, Acts 20. Paul says, I've preached the good news publicly and from house to house, which says I've done it out in the public square, where I've just kind of like stood on a soapbox and preached to everyone, or I did it at the temple, but I've also done it to house to house. And when we read that word, we think, He knocked on people's doors and shared the gospel like Jehovah's Witness or something. But that's not what he did. He actually came into households. Your Bible might actually say the word household instead of house. But the Greek word is oikos, and it doesn't mean home. It means extended family. Acts chapter 5 says this. Every day and in the temple and from oikos to oikos, they did not cease teaching and preaching the Christ. Um, that Jesus is the Christ. So, so the, again, they went into different homes. No, they went into places where there were extended families gathered together. Here's another verse. Um, in Acts chapter eight, it says, Saul, that is Paul before he became converted, was ravaging the church and entering house after house and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. As Americans, I think we read that verse and we imagine Paul knocking on doors. Someone told me you're a Christian, come with me. <laughs> taking him to prison. But that's not what happened. He did go to a house, but when he opened the door, there was an extended family, 20, 30, 40 people in there worshiping Jesus, and he bound them all up and took them to prison. Do you see this? So as Americans, I think we read the Old Testament, or the New Testament, excuse me, and we automatically think of our homes. Paul went from home to home, but what? because we, we don't understand oikos. We just don't get it. We can't get it because in America, everything is individualistic and everything is nuclear. We are all about nuclear family. What we think about in America is, you know, you see these often in the back of a minivan, little stick family, right? Mom, dad, 2.5 kids and a dog, right? That's what we think when we think oikos. That's what we think when we think home, household. But a household in every other culture is an extended family. Uncles, nephews, pediatricians, neighbors, foreigners who don't have family, they're now part of your family, I want to to give you an illustration. I'm going to show you another verse in Scripture that I think you will be uncomfortable with. I'm going to read it to you, and I think you're going to be uncomfortable with it. And the reason why you and I are uncomfortable with it is because we don't understand extended family. We think nuclear. Let me read it for you. You've heard it before. It's a very famous verse. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. If you can be honest, raise your hand and tell me if that's just a little different and a little communistic or something like that. You feel a little odd about it. No, you don't want to raise your hand that time? Okay. Well... Maybe you don't want to raise your hand because maybe you say, actually, that sounds kind of nice because you've been programmed to think that you're supposed to think it sounds nice because it's in the Bible, right? But if I said, okay, well, then who wants to do it? Who would go first? Sell all you have and bring your money here and we'll share it with one another. Who's going to do that? And immediately you're like, okay, now you're making me uncomfortable because we don't really understand costs. We really don't. It's so foreign to us. We only think of household. So, vocabulary lesson is over. The word oikos means a place where extended families spend time together, share meals together, take care of business together, and look after each other. So let's talk about history then. Um, in a historical perspective, like I said before, every single ancient culture operate within an oikos. In fact, there is not a single word in the Old Testament or the New Testament for the nuclear family. There's not a word for that. Every time we see the word family or household, it is a word similar to oikos, which means the extended family. To an American reader, we read these things and we just think home. But to every other culture, and especially the New Testament culture, when they read these words, they automatically knew, we're all together on this. Think about this. That's how the church grew so fast. It wasn't because mom and dad and 2.4 kids decided they were going to worship Jesus and the next thing you know, the whole town got converted. It's because the extended family got converted really quickly all at the same time because they're way, they were an extended family. They were together a lot. Do you know that it was actually like that in America some, before the 19th and 20th? Some of you might have been around in the 19th century. Uh, Larry, no? Um, America was like that before the 19th century. And you can imagine the wagon trains, you know, that the, go west, right? We're all going west together. They were together. And they had an extended family, right? Everyone took care of everyone else's kids. They worked together. Someone's in charge of food. Someone's in charge of labor. Someone's in charge of the horses. Someone's in charge of the wagons, right? They circled their wagons, and they, they, they had a community together. Some of our grandparents probably still have this in their memory. They have um, America as an extended family. Extended family was part of their story. You've heard it, right? You've heard the old school stories. Well, when I was a kid, my mom, if she didn't spank me, the neighbor would. <laughs> right? You'd go outside and you'd see a kid, you know, Emma's doing something she's not supposed to do. If a neighbor didn't spank them, that would be abnormal. <laughs> yeah, you got spanked by strangers because, it, because they weren't really strangers. They were part of an extended family. Everyone knew each other. But here's what happened. For a whole host of reasons, we have unwittingly embraced the fragmentation of the extended family and tried so hard to live primarily as individuals in nuclear families. We've, we've, distri- we, we've made the normalcy of extended oikos abnormal. And we've made let's just be alone in our own little house normal. And I don't know if you're keeping score, and I could rant here for a long time and I'm going to try not to, but is it working? If you look at the way the culture has been in this country, it seems the more extended family became abnormal, the more abnormal things became normal like divorce, teen pregnancy, and a host of psychological issues. Do you know how many drugs kids take these days for psychological issues? ADHD, depression, anxiety. The Extended family is no more, the, 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 the nuclear family reigns, and yet there's kind of abnormalcy in our country. So that's the historical picture, kind of depressing. Oh, You know what, let's look at a more modern historical, because I know sometimes when you talk history, you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about our own history? You might, you might remember this. Um, generationally, they had the baby boomers, right? You know who the baby boomers were? People had a lot of babies. They came out um, in a time period in which it was all about family. Do you know that? The baby boomers were all about family, all about let's live the good life, you know, two and a half kids, a dog, a white picket fence, two-car garage. That was the dream of the baby boomer. Anyone disagree with me on that? No. So do you know what the most oh, – let me back up. Let me say this. If you're a missiologist, you study people so that you can understand what it is that they're in love with what it is that's important to them, what their values are. And one of the ways that you study cultures is to see what they create, what they produce, what kind of art or what kind of film they make. And if you watch those things, you can say, this is what was important to them. This is what they longed for. So, so back to my illustration. The number one television show in the early 90s um, from, the, from, from the baby boomers who were making them was uh, Home Improvement. Do you remember this show? R R R. And it was all about, Mike Breen, the person I'm getting this illustration from, he says it was all about the baby boomers' last stand on the nuclear family. We have to improve the home. We have to improve the home from all these catastrophic things that are happening in our society. we got to hunker down, circle the wagons in our family, and, and improve the home, home improvement. But then 10 years later, their kids grew up and became movie producers, and those kids lived in a different kind of oikos, they said, we don't want to get our costs from our mom and dad. We want to get our costs in the 1990s. The number one television show was, you guys know? We'll get our costs from our friends. Because it was all about friends. We're in this intimate community, and everyone in that time period wanted what they had, right? They lived across from each other. They were always together. They shared boyfriends. I mean, <laughs> they, really, they really had this intimate community. Here's what's interesting, though. First of all, I would say this. I don't think anyone really had that. They all wanted it. They all wanted to look like these kids. Um, they wanted to meet. I would watch that show and say, oh, it'd be so cool to go to the coffee shop every day after work and just be with my friends. You know, that'd be awesome. But I don't think anyone really had that. Facebook blows up in our face. Now everyone's got a million friends. Do you know what the number one show today is? Here, here's the interesting thing. Today... What Americans are saying is we don't want our Oikos to be our home. We don't want our Oikos to be our friends. We want our Oikos to be an extended family. Think of all the television shows that are out now about extended families. I can think of a half a dozen. The Walking Dead. You guys ever seen The Walking Dead? No? You don't like zombies? Walking Dead's about zombies. There's an extended family. They're not related. They're not grandma and grandpa. They're just a bunch of friends. They are forced to be friends for survival, and they're running together. But the whole the the the, the TV show is not really about the zombies. It's about their little community that they have there. That's probably not on everyone's page. Here's, how about another one? Um, Modern Family. Have you seen this show, Modern Family? Not a lot of people, probably in Christian circles, watch it. And it's clear. It's clear as a bell when you watch it. The family unit is not mom and dad, and it's not my friends, but it's this extended family of people, weird people stepmom, stepdad, stepbrothers, and sisters. Um, Where do these guys come from? They're just in the family. I don't know why, you know? Adopted kids, and it's just this long list of extended family, and people are in an intimate relationship with each other, and you see them. They're all different, but they love each other, and they care for each other, and it's like our culture is saying we don't want a home. We don't want friends. What we really want is an extended family because you know why? We're wired and designed for that kind of community. So I have this commercial. I'm going to show it. It's a commercial put out last Christmas, by Walmart and Coke. And you'll see in this commercial how important community is the holidays are here again so i'm inviting all my friends the people who are close to me they're my extended family you've got my mom my sis my brother my surprisingly cool stepmother and the two kids that she had before she ever met my dad next you've got my aunts and cousins they showed up with several dozen friends of theirs it's fine with me i've got enough for all here in the hall, you got my office mates, my best friend, and his online date. They've all come here to celebrate. This is my family. My judo coach, my allergist, my MySpace friends and Twitter list, and the first girl that I ever kissed. You're beautiful. I love you. Cause there's one truth I have found, and it's never let me down. When you stock up on joy, there's enough to go around singing joy, enough to go so did you, see, did you see it? Do you see the extended family? I've actually seen several commercials like that. It's a commercial produced by Walmart and Coke, but it really has nothing to do with Walmart and Coke. And it's a Christmas commercial, and it really has very little to do with Christmas. What he's clearly saying is, "This holidays are here again, so I've invited all my friends. It's my, they're my extended family, is what he says. And then he just shows you his extended family. His dad, his cool stepmom, and the two kids that she had before he met, her dad, you know what I mean, and my brother and my sister and their online dates, <laughs> and my 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 high school buds, my college buds, my worker, my coworkers, my judo coach, my allergists, even the first girl I ever kissed, is here, which would be weird, right? Our culture is saying we long for, we want extended family. We want oikos. I think it's fascinating. My brain says, Our culture is literally crying out for something that we have over 2,000 years' experience in. Meaning, the church is supposed to be good at extended family, isn't it? That's what we're supposed to have here when we gather. We're not related by blood, we're related by Christ's blood. And, 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 and we're all different and we're unique, and we, we, we celebrate that. And yet, we know each other and we care for each other's kids. And, we, and if you need someone who can fix something, you know Bill's good with the hammer, right? If you need a, something seamed, you know Rachel can, can do that. And we all serve each other. So do you see the value of extended family? Someone say yes. Have I made my point? Okay, good. So we've done vocab, we've done history. Now I've got to tell you what a, what a missional community is not. I start off by saying a missional community is not a home group, and not a cell group, and not a community group, and not a life group. Why did I say all that? Because again... We need a paradigm shift, and in the church in the past hundred years, I think the church has tried, it moved in the right direction. I think they had the right intentions to say, everyone get into a small group, and then that will solve some of our problems, and then, now the church won't be just this big place where we attract people to, but now the church will be a big place that we attract people to, but then we send you out during the week to be in smaller groups where you actually get to know one another, and I'm just going to be honest. That doesn't work either. And the reason why is because there's no reason for you to get together on Wednesday night with a small group of people, right? I'll tell you why. Because you've got too many things to do, because you've, you're busy, because you really don't want people to know you, because you really don't want to know other people, you don't want to get up in their business, and so it doesn't work. What we have to have is a paradigm shift to say, no, it's not a small group, it's not a community group, it's not a Bible study, we don't need any more of that. It's an extended family who have to love each other and spend time together. We need a total, total paradigm shift. Let me tell you why. Here's the way church works today. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. The blue circle represents the context. Let's call that Owensville. And the green circle represents the congregation in a church. Notice there's a dotted line between the green circle, the congregation, and the blue circle, Owensville. Why? Because we kind of have like this open-door policy. Anyone can come. Right, And keep, people can move in and people can move out. And we really don't know if you're of us or for us or with us, but you're here. And even if you're not here and you're in the community, in the culture at large, we kind of think you're here, you know, and we're kind of thinking about you. you. Everyone agree with that? Yeah. So, so, there, so it's real fuzzy who the congregation is and who just owensville Owensvilleites are. And then you have the core group. Those are the people who are here every week. And those are the people who are serving and volunteering and on committees, right? And the goal of the church that's established like that is let's move people from the blue to the green, and our ultimate goal is to move them into the red and get them serving. Raise your hand if you think that's the way church normally rolls. And here's what that does. It produces an organism, produces an organization where the primary um, uh, test is who's in the core, who's serving. You've heard that? old adage, 20% of the work, I mean 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people? The, the goal is to get everyone within that 20%. If the motto is it's always 20% of the people, how can you increase that percentage? <laughs> Unless you grew the church bigger, right? And then it just doesn't work. Let me, let me make a few notes about what I see from this paradigm. First of all, there's no movement. The church isn't going anywhere. The church is, go, is imploding in on itself. Hey, come in and be more like us. Secondly, it's church-centered. Clearly, it's core-centered, right? Let's get people in the church, not Christ-centered, not mission-centered. And then thirdly, it's nuclear. I don't remember high school very well, but it looks like a nucleus, doesn't it? Kind of nuclear, not extended. Here's the way I think it should look. We are a part of the mission of God, the sending of God, which means we're on a mission. We're going somewhere. And so these, these two white arrows symbolize The sending nature, the going somewhere-ness of the church. The church is going somewhere. It's not, let's get you into the core and then we all die and we all live happily ever after. The church is, we're moving somewhere together with God. And on that mission, we're pilgrim people moving together, like Moses and, you know, and like the wagon trains of the, of the West. We're going somewhere together. And then there is a covenant community that kind of gathers or extended family, that gathers around each other to support them, to encourage them, to love them on that mission and on that journey. Do you see that? Big difference. Now you've got a, uh, not a thing that's not moving, but it's moving. Not a thing that's church-centered, but mission-centered. And you've got a thing that's... That's not nuclear, but, but extended, extended family. That's what I want our church to look like. Hey, I'm not, can I just be honest with you? I don't necessarily want, even though after the sermon, I'm going to try to get you to volunteer for some things. I, I, I'm, I'm not actually wanting you to come in and hunker down and get closer into the core and volunteer and serve each other. There's a whole book out there called Selfish Churches because that's what we end up being. It's just in serving ourselves. What I want us to do is go out on a mission together and serve everyone else. So if you have to choose between working in the children's ministry or starting something out there where you're engaging with the culture, I would rather you start something out there and engage with the culture. So review. A missional community is an extended family of about 10 to 20 people on a mission together. They meet together regularly to share food, fun, prayer, life, resources, and mission. It's not a Bible study. It's not a discipleship group. It's not an accountability group. It's not any kind of those American programs in which you say you're going to do it and then you don't. What it really is is an organic, extended family, people you love and you commit to. You're in a covenant with. So let me just talk about what it looks like. Food, fun, prayer, life, resources, and mission. You get together and you eat food, right? Every culture in the world, it's all about food. Right? You get around a table, you eat. All oh, the TV shows you watch, they're often getting around the table and eating. It's all about food. We do this in our missional communities. We eat. It's very important to me that we have food there, okay? <laughs> the next thing is we have fun. It's not a Bible study. It's not bring your book and your notepad and let's talk. I don't think that we need to get fed spiritually as much as we think we do. I think what we really need is to be in, we need to be plugged in and be in our community. And we need to plug in and be in our culture. So we have fun together. For the guys, we played horseshoes, and um, that was fun, wasn't it? Next Wednesday, we're going to p- go bowling, and we'll see how fun that will be. Um, the girls get together, and I'm sure you guys have fun, right? Sounds, sounds like a fun time. <laughs> when we get together at Sue and Susie's house or, or Doug and Kim's house, we have fun, don't you think? I think we do. We'll start to learn how to have more fun together. We pray. Uh, God's, you see this in Acts 2, right? They pray together. They, they, they met together in each other's home often, and they prayed together. And we do that a lot here. We pray a lot for each other. We spend some time talking about prayer requests, and we do that a lot here. We share life together, which means we don't wear masks. We're like, This is who I am, and this is what I'm struggling with. And then what happens is when you have a real community is people start to feel more comfortable coming over to your house, and people then feel more comfortable telling you who they really are. We share resources. Like I said, Bill's good with a hammer. Sue's good with a, a needle. And we share a mission, which I'll talk about next week, specifically, how we share a mission, which means we're on a mission together, and we're not just here for each other, but we're actually constantly trying to reach out to the community at large. So so here's the question I need you to ask yourself and your spouse. Will you make a covenant to be in community this year? And I've got some motivational music playing in the background to get you to say yes, (laughs) Will you make a covenant to, to be in community this year? And the reason why I say it like that is because you have to make a covenant to be in community. Otherwise, you won't. Because Wednesday night will come, and you'll say, oh, I don't want to go over there. I just want to take my shoes off and drink a Coke, you know, and watch the, the game. And, 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 or, or, or you'll say, I, I don't want to do, you know, I'm, I got kids. You know, this is the one day of the week I don't have something. I don't want to go somewhere, right? So you'll say. Sometimes you say that, but you know what you're missing? You're missing the part that there's other people there who might need you, right? Maybe you don't want to go, but maybe someone else is hoping you're going to be there because they are starting to like you and they're starting to think that maybe they can share something with you. Does that make sense? We're a community. We all have something to offer, so I need you to make a covenant. I'm going to try. I'm going to go. And you can't build intimacy and you can't build authenticity if you're there once a quarter. It's got to be a lot. You've got to be plugged in. And, And I know for a fact That over the past couple of years, I've experienced real, authentic, uncommon community that I've never experienced in, in my church experience at all. That we actually are committed to each other. We spend a lot of time together. We have a lot of fun together. We pray together. And I feel like I have a support community network greater than any church I've ever been a part of. We have strong community, but it can be a lot stronger. We want Oikos.